I think the scope of what games uh, and, and simulations to that point can do in, in our very real world are, are pretty tremendous. Hello, friends. Welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby. On this episode, we have Eamon Powers, who is a learning experience architect at Flight Safety International and an instructional design PhD student like myself at Old Dominion University. We talk about virtual reality and simulations, and how they're used for learning and training. We also chat a bit about Star Wars and video games, so there's a little something for everyone. I had so much fun geeking out with Eamon. I hope you enjoyed this episode after a brief word from our sponsor, Verisana. Your business needs a better way to train. The better that your team needs is training that leads to performance. Verisana is interactive and repeatable, so your employees can return to lessons as many times as they need to. And we optimize the training so they and you can review their progress. The power of mobile makes it possible. Our team has decades of experience and expertise. We do it because we've been where you are. Verisana, the better way to learn. Hey, Eamon, how are you? Hey, Heidi, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for joining me on the block today. I'm um, happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's such an honor. Thank you. So if we could just get started and you could just tell me a little bit about your career and education. And fun fact for our listeners, Eamon and I are in the same instructional design PhD program at Old Dominion, and that's actually how we met. So I'll let you tell the rest of your story. Well, there was a child once, and no, it's uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in the uh, I'm in the PhD program with Heidi. Uh, she beat me uh, last year in a uh, uh, instructional design contest, and I've held it against her. I think my I, I will until I die. Obviously, it's true. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, the the path to where we sit now uh, is, is, is pretty straightforward, I think actually. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I originally was a pilot, uh, went to, uh, undergrad and all that, uh, to be, uh, be a pilot, technically to be a baseball player and that didn't work out. So then I was like, Oh, I'll be a pilot instead. So, uh, I did that for a little bit. And then, uh, for a number of years, I ran my own company out in California where we did just that. We taught people how to fly. And it's always really kind of been my passion. You know, I, I really like, uh, airplanes and aviation and, um, I just think it's cool, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Absolutely. Yeah, did that for a while. And then uh, I started working. Um, I, I sold the company uh, when, I, when I had uh, little children. My kids are a little bigger now. But I sold the company when the kids uh, were just getting to be toddlers because uh, it was it was kind of either that or them. And I picked them, sure. obviously. <laughs> so I, I went and got a job at uh, Flight Safety International. Uh, we do... Uh, we do pilot training, obviously, for airline and mostly corporate pilots. Um, so guys that are flying business jets, uh, pilots and mechanics and cabin attendants. And so I was an instructor there for a short period of time. And then um, after that, I, I got I got into their version of course redevelopment. And uh, I was an assistant director up in St. Louis and then a director down here in Dallas. And uh, now I'm, I still have the director job, but I'm the learning experience architect at Flight Safety International. So uh, we're trying to forge a, a path forward with a, a you know good bit of technology and a good bit of 
interesting stuff that we can do, but specifically within the aerospace sector. So it's fun. It's good times. Very cool. Yeah. And you, you get to do a lot of stuff that most companies probably don't get to do, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say that's fair. I mean, the, the, so a number of uh, our peer, you know, a number of the peers that we work with, you know, they're in higher ed or they're in K through 12 or something like that. And uh, there, there's a, there's absolutely an element of that are in business. Uh, and so like our worlds are very different, you know, like uh, whereas a K through 12 or a higher ed situation is like, you know, semesters of time. Uh, yeah. our, uh, our people, uh, the, our clients, our learners are, are here for a very short period of time, you know, maybe a month of training. It would be considered for to us a long period of training. But mm. rather than the rather than focusing on, uh, you know, like discussion forums and uh, collaborative workspaces, things that are probably pretty typical in say K through 12 or higher ed. We're, we're not focused on that at all. We're, we're really focused on fidelity of uh, training simulation. So we have full motion airplane simulators that are literally awesome. the, you know, like literally the cockpit of the aircraft uh, and with a uh, wraparound, uh, essentially virtual reality display. So you've got all these like, yeah, that's, that is not normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? uh, you know, that would be really impressive if you went into, you know, uh, 10th grade biology and you walked into a holodeck, you know I mean? Right. But that's, that's kind of what I have available. And, and I, it is, uh, it's wild to think about. Sometimes we take it for granted, but every now, like I make sure, sure to go fly. I make sure to go fly on one of these things at least once a month. And I'm like, no, yeah, this is still impressive. Yep. <laughs> that's good that it never gets old that's yeah. great so can you tell me about a project that you're working on right now maybe that really excites you yeah so um two, we're, we're doing a couple things uh one one thing that we we just did was actually really low tech and in fact our our uh our clients are we call them clients obviously because we're business but our learners sure. will will receive them for the first time on monday so it's actually really exciting we made uh playing cards Okay, so like a okay. little, little deck of playing cards, and uh, we we have this product that we've been you know giving out to our clients for a number of years called flashcards, and these things got they got very un, unwieldy for uh, a period of time. Like you know we'd have like four or five hundred of these things, and they were out of control. And it's like, well, how could someone memorize five hundred things? That doesn't seem sure. really reasonable. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out like kind of practical ways of limiting the number of cards we would be making, and uh, you know. My team and I, we were like, okay, well, what if we made them like playing cards, right? Because that automatically limits them to 54, right? And we could come up okay. with subsequent decks and so on and so forth. So it's become a whole thing. And it's really, really interesting. So they, yeah, they've, they've got suits and every card is different. So that was really interesting. And the idea, what's funny is, this is one of these things that's uh, really interesting. It's like um, people that we talked to when we were kind of vetting it and we were doing some of the initial evaluations in it, they would all say the same thing. They'd be like, well, people are going to know what card the other guy has. And I'm like, exactly. Because huh. you memorize the information. Like, so at some point, you're right. The cards become, you know what the other guy's got, which sure. is interesting. Uh, but but that means you actually, you got the information. Like, you know what the information is, which is the exact point sure. of the cards to begin with, right? So obviously, huh. we'll have different versions of it and everything. But it's, that was interesting. So that's one, that's kind of a little thing we're working on. The big. Sure. Kind of the big thing we're working on at the moment is uh, we have a new uh, data analytics platform that's going to be in our full motion simulators called Flight Smart, 
And uh, in the next few months, that'll be Im implemented in a number of uh, simulators across the enterprise. What's cool about that is, and, and the reason I'm super interested in is, it, it's a it's a way to give clients be be more transparent with the clients in terms of their their valuation, right? You know, so we can okay. instead of yeah. it just being an instructor saying, "Hey, like." You know, I think you could do this better. We we could literally then say, well, you see here where you didn't apply this much pressure on this control surface. Well, if you if you had done this, say ten or twenty more percent, you would have been successful, right? And and okay. we really want to make sure that people feel successful and confident and comfortable. And I think uh, things like that are going to start giving them the tools that they're really needing. So that's cool. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think other companies don't utilize simulation in the same way that you get to? I think the thing about simulation is, well, it's interesting, right? Simulation is not always, so we, we make a number of products, right? So simulation can do various things. And I, and I think sometimes what happens is simulation is, it can be quite expensive, right? If it's built, you know, like we have, very high fidelity simulators, right? Sure. But one thing that happens with products that we make that we don't think are going to say bring in the revenue expectations that we're looking for is we'll do we'll we'll do a real hard look at uh, we'll do a like a very detailed task analysis of the actual thing we're trying to what the what the learners are really trying to walk away with, right? And I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of our maintenance training. So you know. What's happening there is we're really emphasizing, you know, kind of troubleshooting, which is actually kind of a cognitive thing. It's not so much a physical thing, right? Sure. So mm -hmm. while the physical thing is important, obviously you want to make sure that a person can do the thing they're supposed to be doing. What we've noticed is on, on certain times, you know, like in certain courses, we're really not trying to go all the way that. We just want them to start thinking about the order in which it's being done. And so what we wind up doing is we wind up only simulating a portion of the environment, right? So okay. we, we essentially say, well, we want to be able to simulate the logical ways that this decision process can go without simulating the whole environment, right? Sure. So sure. that's one way that, that, that we've been able to kind of, you know, scope simulation appropriately. But what the sure. great thing that I, I think the one thing with simulation that is often like kind of misunderstood is that simulation is kind of what you want when you don't explicitly know what you're looking for. And that's in itself, like, kind of weird, you know, because <laughs> we, we built, sure. you know, like, obviously, as instructional designers, we, we build things to meet specific objectives, right? Um, right. And, and the fact that if depending on the fidelity of simulation, you're kind of building to simulation is really built to essentially encompass whatever you say is the real world, right? And so you'll, you'll have to yeah. kind of work within that space, but it, it's very possible you're not even trying to know what the person's going to do, right? You know, so like in our simulators, we simulate a vast environment. You know, we have uh, fully modeled airports and fully modeled, wow. uh, you know, portions of the actual globe. Um, and do we use all of that? No, we, we certainly don't. And, you know, there, there's arguments to be made about this or that, but what we are doing we recognize that an airplane, when you sit in an airplane, you do have the capability of going anywhere in the world. You do have the capability of uh, doing all of these different things. And so it's really important then from, from our standpoint to say, well, we want to make sure that when you get into our simulator, you feel the exact same way so that the transfer of training can happen. Because the, the unique thing about us is 
And, and something that I, I think the general public doesn't know is, uh, you know, like when, uh, when, when like an airline pilot or a corporate pilot first flies their plane with people behind them, you know, with mm-hmm. like paying customers, generally they've yeah. never, they've never actually flown the plane. They, they flew. Oh, wow. Yeah. They flew only in a simulator. Yeah, I definitely didn't know. That. Now, so there, there's control here, right? You know, so the idea is sure. they, they always have a kind of training pilot with them that, that obviously has flown the airplane. Sure. But sure. but yeah, the first time you fly, you're you're you've never actually flown it, right? And that's wow. the level of fidelity that we need to do in the simulator. And obviously that's expensive. So sure. I think what happens is you know, the reason the simulation is maybe not used as much as it, it could be is one, sometimes uh, we think of one, it is expensive depending on the fidelity you're looking for. And two, it's very possible that the people that could use it don't realize that it's a viable option uh, at differing levels of you know, expense, you know, and so then they go with something that's a little more tried and true. And that's, yeah, that's where they're at. <laughs> sure. So I could see some industries that are more, I guess, the word is maybe low stakes, where they don't need as high fidelity a simulation saying, man, you know, we can't afford that, or we don't have the budget for that. But you know, you're saying that there's like the top shelf simulation, and then like the more practical use simulation. So Yes. And, and in reality, a significant amount of the work that we're doing right now actually is using uh, video game engines, right? So we use, um, okay. we're, we're extensively using both Unity and some circles and, and Unreal Engine and, and other teams to, we're kind of vetting both of those, the pros and cons of them, right? I mean, like, so, so and those are varied, but they're, they're kind mm-hmm. of, that's somewhat of a Coke and Pepsi kind of thing. And you'll get vehement sure. love of one over the other. In my experience, it's I, I, I've seen very similar deliverables come out of them. The benefit with those things, with game engines like that, and the reason we use them quite a bit is the simulation part kind of comes baked in, right? You know, so so long as you had people that are capable of working within 3D, you you could have a a fairly high fidelity, like depending on what rules you want to make. the The other thing that I think you're you're getting to is that while a simulation would is is ideal in testing out scenarios that maybe you haven't conceived yet, which is the best thing for simulation. I mean, like mm-hmm. if there are things you're hoping for, you know, like incidental events, which is especially in technical training, it's those incidental things that are really the things that are they're teaching you, right? You know, it's that sure. little oh, well, this like moves that way, right? You know, so there's yeah. there's something very. Uh, very significant in, in using simulation like that. But even going all the way down to say like role playing is, is in a way simulation, except we're using the environment that we live in, right? You know, so you're essentially, if you set a stage or a scene in a, in a classroom, that's, that is in a sense a simulation because you're playing by a certain set of rules and you're, you're sure. essentially allowing a not pre-scripted situation to unfold, right? And that's, sure. I think that's the real differentiator, you know, like if you don't have a set script, then simulation is a pretty good way to go. It's almost like improv. Uh, but the thing is, it's really important, just like in a video game, right? You know, um, it's really important to understand what the ultimate goal of the training environment is sure. and then the mechanics of it, right? And that's where simulation and I think game-based learning, they work really well together because, you know, in many games, you're, that's exactly what you're doing, whether it's a board game or a card game or a video game. You're, you're, you have goals 
And mm-hmm. those goals are kind of what the point of the game is. But sometimes the point of the game isn't, you know, go and steal this rock from this ogre, right? Uh, sometimes it's, yeah. sometimes the true point of the game is to play with your friends, right? Sure. And so, you know, you've got all these kind of weird intangibles that happen there, but all games do share certain you know, they need to have solid mechanics. They need to have a, some role of narrative, whether it's an implicit or an explicit narrative. You know, they've got these kind of different variables in there. And I think that's where simulation, if people are interested in using it for their application, you know, obviously there's a there's a monetary side of it, but there's also just an, a thought process side. Like, what are we trying to get out of this? Sure. And then the, the answer to that question is really, uh, probably the the place where you have to enter into the well, I can physically produce this, right? You know, kind of outlining the limitations of what's possible. Sure, sure, but there's always a way to kind of work within the scope that you have. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, how does what you do on a daily basis relate to your research interests and what you're studying for the PhD program? Uh, well, I'm, I try to be pretty directly. <laughs> so uh, I did a study uh, last semester uh, that'll be in a special issue of Tech Trends here awesome. in a couple weeks, hopefully, or a month. I don't know when that actually gets published, but it actually has to do with our learning management system. You know, so one of the problems we have with simulation, with especially these new deliverables that we're building in game engines, is, is you know, how do you physically deliver those? Sure. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, like so the physical delivery of things, uh, you know, it kind of gets uh, overseen. But when you're, you know, higher ed has this problem, obviously, significantly, uh, even now, especially with COVID happening, you know, like the physical delivery materials is going to be a challenge. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, we we had a significant amount of work that we just did there. So I mean that that was that was a big part of my research last semester. What we're what I'm doing now is so it's kind of twofold, right? It's it's kind of the reason I started the whole uh, PhD process, and the reason I'm doing most of this is you know ultimately the the goal is to help people. The goal is to you know make people feel comfortable in training environments. Yeah. Anyone that's been in higher ed, anyone that's gotten to a PhD program has has gone through a number of teachers. They've gone through a number of classrooms, uh, done a number of different modalities. You know, and I think uh, I think education, sometimes we try to fit everything into a certain box of this is what training is, right? For sure. Uh, weirdly enough, what I've noticed is uh, in, uh, in, you know, in fandoms, if you will, like, so I'm a big Star Wars guy. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Uh, but <laughs> so like in this fandoms. Is, this is not the place to be sorry about that. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Yeah. So like, you know, so one of the things that's always interests me about that, the, the, like fandoms, if you will, is yeah. how much that has in common with this pretty common perception of uh, the community of practice, right? That we, we talk about within education settings, right? Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I'm super interested in the like okay so I'm going I'm going to get into it. So here <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> yeah, like so I'm so, I'm ready. Yeah, the the research the the research that I'm interested in is is ultimately the the core of instructional design. It's like what's the what's the best thing that I can do to help a person activate this part of their brain or this part of their knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually think Star Wars is a good example of exactly how it's done because there's so many different modalities that Star Wars is in. And and there's, so there's the movies, and you're gonna you're you're gonna operate to a certain percentage of the population that way. Sure. And then there's 
you know, there's the books, which is kind of a lower one, and then there's toys, and there's books, and there's, but in reality, you're you're always operating in the same universe, right? Like there's there's, sure. a certain, there's kind of a certain set of rules, uh, and th- those rules are kind of they're not rules in the sense that it has to be that way. It, they're almost like these are the means in which you can participate. And in education, I think we miss that sometimes, right? We think, oh, well, we're we're doing this e-learning course and this is the way that's going to be. You know, I I can't imagine, it it, it doesn't make sense from, you know, if you're Lucasfilm to say, oh, we're we're just going to make movies. Because obviously there's a number of people out there that are really interested in uh, operating either in a video game or in an app. Or, or buying shirts and or, or even just talking to each other about it, right? And sure, yeah. losing their minds on Twitter about, uh, you know, characters. You know, I mean, like, all of those are means of interaction. Absolutely. And, you know, those are the experiences that we gain. You know, so how that relates back to my research interests is kind of like, well, what I'm interested in is obviously, like, I want to make sure that the things we make kind of reflect that, right? You know, sure, so yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be building things, uh, those those things should likely be built to give the people the feedback they're looking for, right? And in an appropriate time and in an appropriate format. And you know, what I'm laser focused on at the moment is really performance analytics, which goes you know all the way back to Skinner and behaviorism and stuff like that. But what's old yeah. is new, you know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know that the community has been talking a lot about police training and just some of these different things that have shifted to the more touchy-feely, constructivism type of training. And my thought is, well, if that's not working, does some of this training stuff need to just go back to the behaviorist way? You know, like, do do we not, did we go too far, right? Do we not have um, enough balance between behaviorism and constructivism anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of been, been something that I've been thinking about as well is there is an element to, and, and having a toddler who's almost four years old, like behaviorism is very real and it's very useful because I mean, the English language is pretty much rote memorization, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And then that's, so like, you know, um, last semester I did a, a significant amount of reading in, in, a, in the Skinner. It was just part of uh part of the coursework you know we had to pick a person that we were going to focus on yeah and, uh, you know in the, in the first few years of the uh program you know you do pick up on this like you know oh are you a this or are you that and, and yeah i had i kind of always thought that was a silly way of like why would you eliminate tools that are available to you you know that doesn't make right. much sense you know and sure no i'm not i'm not suggesting that we should be Pavlovian and, you know, everything comes with a piece of candy. <laughs> of course. No, like, I don't think but, that's but the candy's way. good. Yeah, can, candy's fine. I'm Let, pro candy. Let's not know. rule out candy here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you know, it's it's interesting. So, like, uh, you know, in the 50s, Skinner made his, like, machine, you know, that, like, the, the teaching machine or whatever, right? Yeah. Right, and it, like, I part of me is like, well, right now, right, uh, like, every interaction we have, like, you know, like, Truthfully, Blackboard or any LMS is incredibly capable of measuring every unit of performance you could ever do and then correlating that with your grade performance or your, uh, you know, your, your, your future, uh, you know, like your, your future employment status or, you know, they, absolutely. You, you, you know, we could easily uh, leverage a number of data points across uh, both personal and educational. And I know that comes 
that starts to get kind of Orwellian, you know, and you're like, oh, you've sure. got, you know, sure. but with that being said, that's certainly, I, I think if, I think if Skinner was alive today, right. And, and, you know, mid research, I, I think he would be all about big data. And, and I think he would be saying yeah. that this is the way that, you know, these, these nuanced actions, these physical performance yeah. objectives are the way that we can tell people are really getting it. I think that's probably good, you know, um, and especially if you start building that into simulation, right, which is kind of where we're at. And, and that's kind of the reason that I'm in that I'm in the path that I am at the moment with the uh, research I'm doing is because, well, if you can, if you can find the things that lead to something being potentially dangerous, you know, especially in a you know high threat situation, like, uh, like, yeah, exactly. Like, um, like flying or, or mining or medical yeah. or, or even police officers, you absolutely, uh, you know, we, we can do that. You know I mean? Like that, that's actually current state technology to, to take sure. someone through, uh, to take through so, someone through that experience. And it, it's interesting because right now, one of the, one of the biggest games that came out two weeks ago, and there's been a number of articles about it that have already come out is, uh, the last of us. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm so, very familiar. <laughs> very familiar. Yeah. So that, you know, like I've, I've read a number of articles that are, I haven't played it yet, but a number of articles that are like, this is a misery simulator, you know, like, it's like, this is, this is going to make you feel that. And you're like, yeah. so you, you start to think of it and you're like, well, wow. Like, you know, like, you know, we have all these like kind of nuances in like, oh, what's a, what's, what's a gamification and what's serious games. Like we try to define these things yes. and it's like, from everything I've read and I played the first game. So I, I know the genre, don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. you know, that realistically that that's a, the whole point of that game is for you to kind of search within yourself yeah. for what you're willing to do. Right. And your participation exactly. in the game is, is ultimately the implicit, you know, understanding of I'm, I'm going to try to build empathy with these people that are kind of reprehensible. Right. You know, so you've got that really interesting thing. So, I mean, like, it, it, I think the scope of what games uh, and, and simulations to that point can do in, in our very real world are, are pretty tremendous. It just requires our imagination. But again, in the game world, like in The Last of Us, I mean, there are things you have to, there are performance-based objectives for the progression of the game. Just like, honestly, in real life, there are likely performance-based objectives that allow us to progress in real life. And I don't see any problem Absolutely. with that. You know? Absolutely, yeah. And I think we can learn a lot more from what people are doing. And, you know, you've just kind of mentioned entertainment industry. You mentioned kind of the sales and marketing with kind of the big data. And I think that it would be helpful for learning and development people to just watch those other industries more. I feel like sometimes we're really behind the times, right? You know, we're still doing leaderboards and there's the last of us two out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. we, we gotta, we gotta keep up, you know? And I think that sometimes we kind of become our own worst enemies in the sense that, well, this is how we do things. And, and storyline is what we use and e-courses are, are how we teach to, you know, go back to star Wars. Like this is the way, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly. it's like, no. no, this doesn't have to be the way though. Right. And I think that, I think that as I see a lot of people in our program and just the diversity of people in our PhD program, it gives me a lot of hope because everybody is so interested in doing something different and innovative and kind of stretching outside that box. We're not changing the context. We're not changing the limitations of the fandom of L&D. 
we're just, you know, bringing in a new, we're just creating a graphic novel because we only have movies and books right now, you know? So just trying to step outside of that typical L&D experience. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, what, uh, one thing that I think is like today, you know, with, with the situation we're in is, you know, I, I've read a lot of articles recently and Twitter posts and stuff about the challenges we're going to have with distance learning, you know, coming into yeah. the fall with COVID, right? And one of the things that like we struggle in, in, my, in my work, we struggle with this too, because, you know, they're like the thing that we want, the, you know, the ultimate thing we kind of would like to do is mirror. And I think what everyone would like is mirror the in-person experience, right? You, you want that to be yeah. the same. And like the one thing that video games have done exceptionally well, and, and I don't think we've looked into nearly enough, is, the, is multiplayer, you know, so like, yeah. you know, like Fortnite or Warframe or uh, Call of Duty, any any of these games, even Halo, you know, I mean, like all, all these games, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all violent games, no question. Um, but they're, they require mass amounts of people to be playing at the same time. So there's all these, yeah. there's all these technological advancements that have been made in the game sector that for whatever reason, we just, you know, I, I agree with you in, in the L&D sector, we have not, I mean, like that's, that could happen today, and sure, there's there's sure. plenty of there's plenty of uh, interest in things like uh, you know Second Life or uh, um, other kind of VR experiences. But again, those are just like you know I, I don't know if we've really attempted to tailor the learning experience to operate within that realm of possibility. I think we're sure. you know, kind of you're right. You're, I think we're like kind of tiptoeing into it, and uh, maybe we need to kind of dive in a little more. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I made the focus of this podcast what it is, you know, creating that learning culture in organizations is because, you know, I just think a lot of times organizations, whether it be higher ed, corporate, military, whatever, treat L&D as like a budget list item, right? You know, mm-hmm. like we're we're not sales, we're not, you know, shipping the product, but, you know, we are L&D at a good organization touches every single person in that organization. So I think until we kind of can change organizational culture a little bit more and make it more open to spending a little bit more money on the L&D people, mm-hmm. you know, but but that's also a double-edged sword too, because they, they see some of the work that we do, some of these outdated e-courses or, you know, some of these recorded lectures and they're like, why would I spend more money on this? Right. right. So I, I think it, there, there's a, a, a good middle ground to find. And it's just that people like you and I and other people in our program have to find the, the organizations that are going to let us kind of run with it and show the world what we can, what we can do, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's, it's going to require that, that forging ahead, and uh, it's good. It's some perseverance, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let me ask you, if, if there was a small thing, a small step that you could recommend to organizations and companies to just just take that first step in integrating simulations or AR and VR, is there something small that companies could do to to kind of turn in that direction? Yeah. So one thing that uh, recently became uh, available in um, 
in well in Unreal Engine specifically is and Unreal is a, a relatively easy thing to get access to. Uh, it's initially free, and obviously okay. once you start to once you start to produce things that you're trying to sell, there are licensing requirements, just just like anything sure. else, right? Sure. Um, but one thing that's been absolutely amazing is uh, initially when we were using when we were building 3D and simulated environments, we were building the whole environment. We we, we purposely building, you know, like two mile space, right? And so like yeah, if you were a, a company, well, like if you were a real estate company or something like that, and you were trying to show someone a house or you were trying to train someone out of how to properly show a house, like you would have to like build the house and you'd have to build sure. all that stuff. And there's a lot of overhead with 3D developers and shaders yeah. and people that work on lighting and the kind of the the bar was really high on making that a top notch experience. Sure. But I could say now the bar is really low, actually. So, um, wow. so now what you can do is, is kind of two things. You can immediately put HDR uh, photographs that are even just taken with your phone uh, and make that the environment. Wow. And the second thing that, that's just recently started to like pick up pretty big time is uh, with like the iPad Pro, even the regular iPad or an iPhone will do it, but the iPad Pro is particularly good at it. Um, it can take 3D scans of real objects. Okay. Right. And so instead of yeah. building a three dimensional thing, which requires obviously development time and thought, you could just take your phone out there and say, hey, I want to I want to talk about this thing and you can place it pretty much anywhere. You know, so, start, Very and, cool. you know, yeah, you, you essentially give people the opportunity to then work with something on in scale. And the thing I think that gets lost sometimes on with VR and it's because when we talk about VR, we're looking on screens or we're looking in a piece of paper. VR doesn't make sense until you actually put the headset on, right? Um, and sure. So in, in aviation, we actually had this very same problem. You know, people were like, why would we do that? Why would we do that? And, and what happened was, well, it's because the aircraft is huge, right? Or the aircraft's quite large. Uh, and what you're going to, as soon as you put it on, it it grounds you in how like the spacing and the context and the size. So mm -hmm. I would say if you're um, if you're a, an organization that has something that requires context or depth, right? Like a, a physical environments or physical objects or or even relationships between things. So even like you know mm -hmm. say in physics or something like that, VR is actually something pretty pretty low hanging fruit right now. I mean, an Oculus Quest is I think like four hundred dollars, and you know to take a couple picks with your phone or an iPad. Yeah. It's pretty reasonable, right? It just requires yeah, thinking about it and wanting to do something new. And like you said before, that's really what it's going to come down to. You know, it's it's going to take it's going to take an instructional designer to say, "Well, I know we've done it like this forever, <laughs> right. but maybe this is a cool way to do it." And, you know, that's that's the real design work. That's the real develop, you know, design, develop and evaluate. Like that's that's really what we should be focusing on, especially if we're trying to innovate at all, you know? Yeah. And who doesn't want to work on simulations and VR? Like, I know I'd much rather do that than spend all day in PowerPoint. So <laughs> That's exactly true. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think anyone that started down this path, they'd be really surprised with, yes, initially the, uh, just like anything, the information initially is very like, heady and high. But the thing sure. is, uh, there's enough people out there that have been working on it a long time that the uh, world's best LMS has plenty of information. It's called YouTube. 
And right. um, yeah, I, I can promise you, you, you'd be impressed with how much you can learn on there in, a, in an afternoon about uh, building in this kind of world or in this kind of environment. And I think, I think you'd be impressed with how much you can get done with the same exact budget you're using right now for Articulator or PowerPoint even. Very cool. That's good to know. That's encouraging for sure. It doesn't hurt that PowerPoint accepts 3D at this point too. So that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I've just seen a little bit of that. How much do you know about 3D and PowerPoint? Do you use it often? We do. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. And, and honestly, that's a, that's even cheaper than going say the, the full unreal engine route. Um, so there's a, a free program blender, uh, which is a okay. 3d, uh, 3d software, again, tons of tutorials and, it's really leaned into the open source kind of building framework, right? You know, so no licensing yeah, cost yeah. or anything like that. But you can take your Blender file, save it, and import that directly into PowerPoint. And if you're looking to do some, if you're looking to give your facilitator that that interaction element, it's a really easy sure. way to do it. So again, 3D is really only going to make sense. 3D and VR and AR really only make sense when you're trying to either add context or layers, at least in my experience. I'm sure, sure. there's... I'm sure there's other ways to do it, but uh, if you're adding context and layers to either the real world or you need to show you need to show the elements of the real world without having the real world available to you, those are really good places for it to be. If you're just trying to do something novel with it, like uh, you know, I, I don't know how helpful it is to have, say, a Shakespeare avatar reading you Romeo and Juliet. Maybe that's helpful, but. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they've still got the old videos of Vincent Price reading it. So we'll just watch those. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last question for you. Sure. What is just one piece of media? So it can be a book, a video, a podcast, infographic that you've come across, a YouTube video. What is one thing that we can consume that will help us better understand AR VR simulation in an educational context. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. All right, I'm going to give the Star Wars answer. Uh, so, so I think I think one way to really see what it can do is watch uh, episode four of the Mandalorian behind the scenes, and uh, you'll see what a uh, what a simple concept can be applied to in a real world to to kind of facilitate that if if you don't have disney plus then i'll give you another one uh there's a fantastic book by charles fink it's called convergence and it's a ar enabled book um oh. you, you essentially download the app and you can use that yep that is a i i i highly recommend it it's it's kind of equal parts capability. Uh, now he comes at it from kind of the entertainment standpoint, but but when he means entertainment, he means a number of media platforms. And so, sure. he, yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'd say Star Wars, but if you're not going to watch Star Wars, then that's fine uh, for those out there. I don't know what's wrong with you, but um, no, sorry. I go with I Char it. Charles Fink's book. Uh, it's really fantastic. It's called Convergence. I think you'd be very happy with it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eamon, for joining me and for being the first guest on the block. It's been fun. We've had a good time. I know. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Thanks again for joining me on the block. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.